0: This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions and where we try to have compassionate and compelling conversations about challenging subjects. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and as always, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors, and I truly could not do this show without them. So for this week, I have to thank Jonathan, Meredith, Joy X Miracle, Nephilim Shale, Matthew, and Kirsten. Thank you all so much. Every little bit truly helps. And you are ensuring the long life of this show. And for anyone who wants to join their number, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long and for just a dollar a month, I am a very cheap bitch. You will get extra content every single week, including my House of Heretics podcast with the former Salvation Army officer turned Christian heretic. In the most recent episode that we did on House of Heretics, we talked about an alleged Christian miracle where a woman at a megachurch regrew three amputated toes. And there is a website out there called showmethetoes.com, demanding evidence. And I grew up in a culture where miracles allegedly happened all around me. I never saw anything in all my days as a Christian that broke the laws of physics, that truly demonstrated anything miraculous. And so Timothy and I talk about growing up in an environment, growing up in an environment where belief in miracles and the supernatural was reinforced, but we never experienced it and navigating that interesting dynamic. So we talk about that among many other things. If that is interesting to you, please stop being a goddamn communist freeloader and sign up for just $1. All right, Murphy Fox, welcome back to Sacred Tension.
1: Thank you. (laughs) <laughs>
0: so we recorded this already once and then we both looked at it and we're like, that's two and a half hours long. We should we should re record and make it more concise.
1: Yeah, so, we have a lot of stuff to bitch about, but we'll keep it shorter.
0: We'll we'll keep our bitching to a minimum. Murphy is like my favorite fag hag who I get drunk with on mimosas at a brunch uh, and just talk shit with. So. <laughs> Thank you, Murphy, for joining me. Murphy Fox is a colleague of mine, and she is very active in the Satanic Temple. She has been very active with various campaigns, like the Gray Faction campaign and other activities of the Temple. For people who are new to this podcast, I am also very active in the Satanic Temple. I am a minister of Satan and a member of ORDCO. So we are here we-
1: being said, we don't speak for TST.
0: Yes, absolutely. So we are sharing our opinion in this episode, and I feel like it is a very well informed opinion, but keep in mind that it is still our opinion. Neither of us are official spokespersons for the Satanic Temple. And it is okay, in fact, good if people within the Satanic Temple disagree with us because we do have a diverse intellectual community, and that is wonderful. So we are gathered here today to discuss an article that Murphy and I recently wrote for the outlet Free Inquiry. And this article was in response to another article by someone named J.D. Sword, who is a member of the Church of Satan and a skeptic. And he writes regularly for free inquiry. And the article contained many items that we objected to. We find them untrue or we think that they are fallacious or misleading. And it's also a fantastic opportunity for us to just do a response to a lot of the most common garden variety collections of criticisms against TST, because these criticisms do come up all the time. And this article just kind of perfectly encapsulated a ton of them. So
1: it really did. And it's, we feel that it is misinformation, it's disinformation because. I feel, I don't know if Steven does, but I feel like it was intentional. There was a narrative being pushed that was decided beforehand and very little, if any, actual research was involved.
0: Yeah. So I will let you, dear listeners, be the judge of how you perceive J.D. Sword and uh, the people who believe these things. I will do my best to remain neutral on that. I. Will say, though, please, my dear kittens, do not go harass anyone that we mention in this episode. Don't bother them. Don't annoy them. Remember, as my sister Elizabeth Schultz said in the episode two, now a month ago, I guess, as my sister Elizabeth Schultz said, attack ideas, not people. So we're here to attack the ideas, we are here to respond to the ideas but it is not my intent to attack jd sword as a person so with all of that said are there any other caveats that you think we should we should get into
1: no i think maybe it would it would make me feel better if we just tell everybody how much work we went into this because it's actually a pretty short article but how many hours oh my did God. You spend on
0: it? so many hours i mean Murphy and I are, like, best fucking friends now because we were on (laughs) Zoom so many hours every night for, like, two weeks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so the reason for that was because it started out, we read the article, we disagreed with it. We It was sent to us, pictures of the article were sent to us from a fellow person that appreciates the separation between church and state and has appreciated the satanic temple, but isn't a member of the satanic temple. And we were operating off of these pictures of the article, trying to rebut it. And we started out by like looking for the editor's contact information, finally received that. Then we were on the phone for how many hours the first night, probably two and a half hours oh, just dissecting it. And oh, dissecting that, it was, it was, was forever. Worth. Yeah, what, what should we combat? And then we spent time actually formulating an email that was just to the editor explaining, I think it was like 15 things that we thought were either false or mis- intentionally misleading. Mm-hmm. And then we got a green light to write the article. And we were told the prompt was, because J.D. Swords article questioned whether secularists should support the Satanic Temple. So we were told to write. I
0: think I think we came up with that prompt. I don't know. Maybe I'm delusional at this point, but I think I I think we came up with the with the prompt to to basically answer J.D. Swords question, which was should secularists support the satanic temple. I think this is a good point at which it is, you know, helpful for us to like reveal our biases. Like, of course, we think secularists should support the satanic temple. We are members of the satanic temple and very active members of the satanic temple. But we reveal our biases from the outset. We're not pretending to be impartial in this at all. We have our perspective, but we think it is the correct one. (laughs) <laughs>
1: and we believe it's well informed.
0: Yeah, so so the article just kept growing and growing and then it had to pare down and it went through like this long editorial process for us that lasted, you know, like maybe over a month. I mean, it took us forever. It took us it felt like forever. And I feel like I feel like there's a broader point here to make about that, which is addressing falsehoods on the internet is so unbelievably time consuming, even stuff that is easily researchable, even stuff. And we will will demonstrate that. I think a lot of the claims made in this article are easily demonstrably false. You know, it can easily you can find
1: re- it on TST's FAQ page. It's you, that simple.
0: Or just you can find it in news stories that that. Some of the claims are false. Right. And yet that said, it took us so long to just like address every single fucking to
1: point. decide to prioritize and decide, well, how much information should we include? What audience are we talking yes. to are these people that already know about TST? Do we need how basic do we need to get?
0: And And that's the challenge of trying to combat misinformation on the internet, is it is so easy to just spew a ton of bullshit. It's so easy to just, you know, gish gallop. And then you, and and then it's like, you have to go in and clean up the mess. You have to go in and, and put all the pieces back together. And that is such a time consuming process. And I feel like I appreciate so much more now why it is so time consuming.
1: Yeah, that reminded me just now of a quote. It's like when men can hate without risk, their stupidity is easily convinced. The motives supply themselves. Oh. And I feel like that? that was exactly what happened. Who said that? I'm gonna say his name wrong. It's Louis Ferdinand Celine, I believe. It's from the book Journey to the End of the Night. It's one of my favorite books.
0: Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if there are any other caveats. I know that we beat this caveat horse to death. I think the I think the last thing that I want to say about this subject before we get into it for people who are maybe on the periphery of this weird new religious movement that we call the Satanic Temple or maybe you've maybe the tides of the algorithm have washed you up on the shore of of this particular podcast if so hello I'm glad you're here welcome to hell but also <laughs> If you're wondering why this is interesting, I think that there is a deeper reason why this is interesting, which is I think that some of the topics that we'll get to are helpful to think with in terms of how we address social justice, in terms of how we approach culture on the left, in terms of how we approach free speech, um, what does it mean to do activism, what does it mean to defend people's bodily autonomy. So we're going to be looking at a lot of those specific things, but through the very narrow lens of the satanic temple.
1: And just our opinions on those topics.
0: So if that stuff is interesting to you, then please stick around. I think you'll find it interesting. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the article that we wrote. We're doing this because I think that this article is important. I think it addresses a lot of common concerns. So we are doing this in audio form to get it out there to the people who primarily consume audio. We will also be including some of the pieces of writing and some of the arguments that we wanted to get into the final edit, but we just couldn't because of time. So, um,
1: and word limits. And just by the way, we didn't choose the title of this article, that wasn't up to us.
0: Oh, what was the title?
1: It was like Secularist Imperfect Allies or something. Oh,
0: yes. The say the title is The Satanic Temple as Secularist Imperfect Allies. Yeah, I mean, as is common, the author, <laughs> the writers do not choose the headlines. The editor does. I just have to say, I'm just now seeing the comment that you posted the in the in the chat. It oh, reads, yeah. and I'm going to read this out loud for our dear listeners. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get a diet coke, so I will stop drinking alcohol. LOL.
1: <laughs> it was when, when you went to get a drink, and I was like, I should probably stop drinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I meant to ask, are you drunk yet?
1: Uh, not entirely, just a little bust.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> a little bust is just right for a podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't particularly enjoy my voice. I'm sure the people listening won't either, so I'm going to drink, so I won't be nervous about it. <laughs>
0: Your voice is great. You have this, this sweet, angelic little girl voice, and what people don't know is that you're actually like the orphan from the movie Orphan. <laughs> like, I'm constantly making fun of you because you're so... You're so sweet and and small, and you you're smiling with like this angelic face. And what no one knows is that you're actually like a, a knife wielding goblin. <laughs> you're the. Ang- I
1: appreciate that you recognize the real me behind. This <laughs> I do. Picture.
0: You're like the angriest person I've ever met in my life.
1: <laughs> I wish people were more afraid of me from how I looked, but everyone thinks I'm nice, and it's frustrating. <laughs> no, I
0: know the truth. Okay, so we're here with Murphy Fox, the alcoholic attack dog. Um, so So let's start at the very top of this article. The first point that we want to get across is that TST is authentically religious. And so J.D. Sword started his article by saying somewhere in the beginning, the Satanic Temple is an activist organization that claims to be a religion. This is backwards. And I feel like I'm in a pretty good position to say that it is backwards because I'm in ministry in the Satanic Temple and it is fundamentally religious. People look at the activism of the Satanic Temple and assume that we are and assume trolls. yeah, that they they assume that the Satanic Temple is trolls. They assume that the Satanic Temple are the goth version of the flying spaghetti monster. And that is just not the case. Instead, it is the other way around. The activism comes out of the deeply held religious convictions of the satanic temple. In the same way, the activism of Quakers comes from their deeply held religious beliefs. In the same way, you know, there have been religious social movements through history, through the centuries. There have always been. Sorry, go on.
1: Oh, sorry. I was just going to point out. And I think a lot of maybe not your listeners, because maybe they know better, but I think a lot of people in general have an assumption that religion and theism are synonymous, and they are not. Just because we don't believe in a literal Satan doesn't mean that we're not authentically religious.
0: Yes, absolutely. So there's a, this is always a problem when it comes to defining religion, where if you define religion too narrowly, then you exclude a lot of things that are obviously, religions. So if you define religion as believing in a deity, believing in a god, well, in that case, you've excluded a good swath of the Reformed movement in Judaism. You've excluded a massive amount of Quakers, Buddhists, even Hindus, so on and so forth, right? So TST clearly fits within the religious landscape. And adherence to TST, in my experience, are unironically religious. And so it's important to point out that TST does have a ministry that is the body, the international body of ministers, and they provide religious services. They provide ceremonies and rituals for meaningful events. They provide. Religious services twice a week online. I recommend everyone go check them out. They have a podcast where they do the services and they have live events, uh, live services.
1: And the ministers are trained. You know all about that. They go through ordination. There's a whole process where they make sure they understand Satanism and they're able to speak authoritatively on that topic.
0: Yes, exactly. And so I think, I believe that the existence of ministry within the Satanic temple demonstrates that it is genuinely religious, authentically religious. I don't think the ministry needs to exist in order for it to be authentically religious. It was authentically religious before ministry began, which I believe was in 2020. It has been authentically religious since its beginnings. But I use satanic ministry, which is the body of ministers, as just a an obvious example of how it is religious.
1: And can I just say that... You embody all of the characteristics of what I believe a minister should be. You're completely compassionate and empathetic. You give great advice. You listen. and You want to help people. And that's what people look for in a minister. You just do it from a satanic perspective.
0: Well, that's very sweet of you to say. Everyone, funny story. My family is a family of ministers. And so I am following in the grand <laughs> tradition, in the fam- long family tradition of going into ministry. I'm just doing it in my own unique way. It's kind of like I was raised in utero to become a minister, but no one expects <laughs> it. In,
1: it's in your DNA. You are pathologically polite.
0: Yeah, I am. I am pathologically agreeable. Okay, so it's also important to point out that the United States recognizes the satanic temple as a church. The IRS Recognizes TST as a church. Weirdly, the United States leaves it to the IRS to determine what is a church and what is not. That is a weird aspect of the American system. But also, the court system has affirmed that the Satanic Temple is religious in nature. So, Murphy, could you explain this section here?
1: We were doing a lot of research on this and trying to determine how much we should actually put in the written article. And we got one quote out of it, right? But there's a lot more that goes into it. And so we wanted to talk about it today. In Arizona, whenever TST brought claims about when someone was discriminated against when they wanted to give a religious invocation, of course, the, the city and I believe it was Scottsdale, we'll have to double check that. But the city question whether tst was authentically religious because if you're not then you can't claim religious discrimination the court the opposition demanded that tst's religiosity in our belief system be subjected to and they put this caveat in their ruling they said well it needs to pass the alvarado test and if steven would please read the three factors of the alvarado test
0: three factors of the alvarado test one plaintiffs beliefs address fundamental and ultimate questions Having to do with deep and imponderable matters. Two, maintains a belief system that is comprehensive in nature. And three, is a religion that can be recognized by formal and external signs such as formal services, ceremonial functions, the existence of clergy, structure and organization, efforts at propagation, observance of holidays, and other similar manifestations associated with the traditional religions.
1: And actually, this was in Scottsdale, I just remembered. So this was in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's right. And so our plaintiff, TST's plaintiff... Miss Short testified that she considers her beliefs in Satanism as she practices it as a member of the Satanic Temple to be a religion even though she does not believe in a literal god or Satan. She testified that Satanism encompasses all the values she holds dear, which are justice, the pursuit of knowledge, bodily autonomy and personal sovereignty. She testified that her beliefs include seven tenets that encompass compassion, nobility of character, justice, and the pursuit of knowledge. So the ruling was that TST satisfied the three factors of the Alvarado test, and the court concluded that Ms. Short's beliefs and practices are are, are religious for purposes of her religious discrimination claims. And this is the part we actually included in the article.
0: So the judge said these beliefs and practices... Would also be considered religious under other cases. See, e.g., United States v. Seeger. 380 U.S. 163, 185, 1965. To qualify as religious beliefs must be sincerely held and in the claimant's scheme of things religious in nature. Torcaso v. Watkins, 365 U.S. 488, 495 number 11, 1961. Among religions in this country which do not teach what would generally be considered a belief in the existence of God are Ethical Culture, Secular Humanism, and others. Kaufman v. McCautry, 419F3D, 678-684, 7th Circuit, 2005.
1: The judge was forced to make a determination of whether TST qualifies as a religion, and the opposition told her to follow the Alvarado test. So she did that, said TST satisfied it, and then went out of her way To make sure she included in the ruling that not only did TST satisfy religiosity under the Alvarado factors, but it would be considered religious under all of these other cases as well. And she listed them.
0: Yeah. And and the long stream of random words and numbers that you just heard are the cases under which she said that TST would be considered religious. Okay, shall we move on? Yes. So the next big category that we have is principles over optics. And we believe that the Satanic Temple pursues principles over optics, even when those optics might have difficult, even when those principles might result in some difficult optics. So there are two examples that we have here. In Sword's article, he says, quote, in March, 2016, Greaves announced via his Facebook page that he would be boycotting a conference called the Left Hand Consortium in solidarity with neo Nazi lawyer and occultist Augustus Sol Invictus, aka Austin Gillespie, who acted as lawyer for domestic terrorist Marcus Fela, a white supremacist with ties to the neo-Nazi occult group, The Order of the Nine Angles. Gillespie would go on to speak at the Unite the Right white supremacist rally in Charlottesville in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, at which three people were killed. Okay, so this, on its face, looks pretty damning, right? This looks shady.
1: Oh my gosh, is he responsible for three people getting killed years later? <laughs>
0: Lucian Greaves is single-handedly responsible. So, S.W.O.R.D. claims that Lucian Greaves resigned for people who don't know. Jesus, we're so in the weeds. For people who don't know, Lucian Greaves is the found co-founder and spokesperson of the Satanic Temple. And... So S.W.O.R.D. here is claiming that Lucian Greaves resigned in solidarity with the white supremacist Augustus Sol Invictus. And that is not the case. Lucian wrote a Facebook post in which he explained this choice.
1: And I think it's important to note that J.D. S.W.O.R.D. quoted or he at least linked to, I can't remember, but he included a link to Lucian's Facebook post. So he is aware of it. He read it and he still decided to relay the information in the way that he did. Yeah. Which he, I feel I personally feel is very dishonest.
0: Yeah. I mean, it. he still, after having read this piece by Lucian Greaves, still decided that he was resigning in solidarity with Augustus Sol Invictus, the neo-Nazi. So here's what Lucian wrote. This is not the complete post. This is a segment of it. Where is this the complete post? Did you copy it? Was al- it was
1: almost the whole post. So, there, there might have been like an introductory paragraph that I cut off.
0: By the way, dear listeners, if the ep- if this episode sounds like more organized than usual, it is because Murphy Fox has put together, has compiled the most wonderful and concise podcast notes for this episode that I might just like have to hire her to write all of the show notes from here on out.
1: Well, and um, I only did it because we talked about this for two and a half hours the other day. <laughs> and I was like, my goodness, maybe we should focus on a couple things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's see. It would be so hilarious if we get to the end of this episode and it is still two and a half hours.
1: I know. I feel bad. Maybe I no, should. No, it's stop okay.
0: <laughs> no, don't stop talking. This is a podcast. You're supposed to talk, that's, that's <laughs> what you do on a podcast. Okay. So here's the post that Lucian wrote. I am not withdrawing from speaking because Invictus was invited to speak, but rather because he was recently disinvited. Protesters have harangued the organizers, and the organizers have expressed concerns for the security of their attendees where were Invictus to remain on the speaker's list. I have no reason to doubt the sincerity of the organizers. However, I feel that the disinvitation sends a harmful message in support of censorship. I, too, find some of my speaking events besieged by religious protesters, and I hope that civil protest can take place without silencing my voice or anybody else's. One might rightly ask if there were any situation in which I might consider not speaking at a conference due to another speaker's point of view. Of course, if I were going to a science conference and there was scheduled a creationist lecturer, I would likely find the conference hardly worth attending, much less speaking at. This is because creationism isn't taken seriously by around 100% of credible scientists. If, however, creationism were, against all reason, taken seriously by some 30% or more of scientists and the conference were going to contain lecturers by evolutionary biologists who were to offer a rational view, I would think it the duty of those evolutionary biologists to attend, share their knowledge, and confront the poor science with hard empiricism. I do not think that Invictus' views are in such a disappearingly small minority as to imagine that confronting his opinions give them unwarranted exposure. I think his views are prevalent enough within left-hand path communities that it is worth our time to argue them and delineate how and where we differ in the satanic reformation of the satanic temple. It's easy to stand up for free speech when you are fighting for your own voice or for the voice of those you agree with. It's a completely different fight, and arguably, your loyalty to free speech only means anything at all when you're willing to fight for the free speech of those with whom you disagree. Okay, so very clearly, he disagrees. He is not resigning in solidarity with a neo-Nazi. He is resigning on principle in defense of of free speech now it is okay for people and there are people within the satanic temple who question whether this was the best defense of free speech right that's okay that's an important conversation to have but this was lucian trying to take a stand for the principle of free speech and why open discussion is important And he's right when he says that left-hand spaces do tend to attract white supremacists, Nazis, racists, etc. So these views are more common in the left-hand path than maybe they are in wider mainstream culture.
1: Right. And in my opinion, this is my personal opinion, I feel like it's a great opportunity if there is someone within the satanic left-hand path that's up there talking about Satanists are neo-Nazis, you want to have someone out there saying Satanists are not neo-Nazis. And the contrast to, to show people that attend these consortiums, like, oh, do I want to to follow this route of Satanism or this route of Satanism? It's good to see the contrast so you know what Satanism could be versus the type of Satanism that the
0: Satanic temple is. It's also important to have someone on stage to call them on their bullshit. That's super important too. And and so the idea that, that this is an action that is in solidarity with Nazis in any way is profoundly misguided. Unfortunately, a defense of free speech is often assumed to mean a defense of the content of one's speech. And that is... A common mistake, but it is a stupid and regular one that I wish wouldn't happen
1: as much. Yes. Yeah, so we'll we'll tell your listeners another example of where the Satanic Temple defended free speech, and then we can get on our shared soapbox of why free speech is our favorite fucking thing.
0: Yes, definitely. So the first example was of Lucian Greaves as an individual choosing principle over optics, in this example, it is TST choosing principle over optics. And so in 2021, Baltimore attempted to to ban St. Michael's Inc., which is a really horrible and toxic Catholic group. And it is more commonly known as Church Militant.
1: And Church Militant, just so your readers know, they're very anti-TST. I think they've written articles, and I'll verify this before you post your podcast, but I think they've written articles about how because Lucian grieves is satanic, he must be a pedophile.
0: Lucian talked about that on one of our episodes where they called him a pedophile, which he, in case it isn't clear, he isn't. So this is they've they're also horrifically anti-gay, anti-LGBT in general. They are they think that the current Catholic, Roman Catholic Church is too far left. So that's when you know you're fucked. Like, everything after Vatican II is too far left. So, um, this is not
1: a group that we personally agree with.
0: No. As, no. As we're
1: talking about this.
0: Um, so Baltimore attempted to block church militant from rallying in the public square. They, there was, I believe, a conference of bishops happening in Baltimore. Church militant wanted to protest. Baltimore tried to block them from their legal right to protest. In response, TST filed an amicus brief in support of church militants' First Amendment rights, stating, quote, TST strenuously disagrees with St. Michael's religious viewpoints. It is completely antithetical to TST's ideology for these speakers to advocate for violence, racism, misogyny, or the overthrow of the American government. Our advocacy for an. Uh, our advocacy. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Our advocacy for an affirmance is rooted not in an endorsement of St. Michael's or these speakers, but in the outrage that the city of Baltimore tried to silence them. So
1: I love that. I love the way it was written. I think it's great because very it's it's explicit. We do not agree. But we support their right to say it.
0: Yeah. And I and I wish that this one had been included in the article because honestly, I think it's a better example. I think it's just a much more clear cut case of defending the principle of free speech in a much less ambiguous way where I think, you know, I think it's fair to for people to wonder, was Lucian Greaves action the best way to defend free speech? in that situation that's and
1: personally i agree that it was because they were censoring someone it was a heckler's veto and i don't agree with that
0: definitely and but the point is both of these demonstrate a willingness to kind of Put their reputation on the line to to be problematic in the public. Yeah, the
1: optics are not good, right? Like you're defending church militant and they're anti-gay. What are you doing? And that's the whole point. We're not defending church militant's views. That's right. We're defending the principle of free speech.
0: That's right. And so here's what we wrote. Sword claims that Greaves recused himself in solidarity with Invictus, and this has been interpreted by some as an indication of TST's sympathy for his views. This is absurd, but perhaps inevitable. A defense of the principle of free speech is not a defense of the content of one's speech. We believe TST's willingness to stick to them, even when it generates bad publicity, is a virtue. Yeah. Yeah. And so, now we'll
1: tell you why. Because yes. we love to talk about this. Okay, so
0: this is so this is going to be a, a bit of a tangent, but I think it's worthwhile to get into because we are minorities. So that is that's the important thing to remember here. We have minorities, minority religions, sexual minorities, women, racial minorities, so on and so forth. We have the rights we have in part because of free speech, because we live in a society that defends the right to express even the most hated perspectives. Well, guess who is often the most hated? Minorities. Satanists. Satanists. Exactly. So do you want to take this one?
1: Yeah, sure. So just to be clear, a lot of the conversation about free speech, I've heard people say, that they do support free speech, but they just don't support hate speech, right? And that, unfortunately, that's not that's not a stance that I can get behind. But I I'm not a free speech absolutist. I support free speech as defined by the law and courts, which there are limits on. You can't free speech doesn't apply to incitement of violence. It doesn't apply to defamation. It doesn't apply to fraud or child pornography or threats.
0: There is also the other side of the coin of free speech, which is freedom of association. And this is always so and freedom of thought. And so it is okay for certain communities to set standards for what is or is not spoken about within those individual communities. My personal fear is that we're losing neutral spaces where fr- where a free exchange of ideas can take place. That said, it is okay within the law for, and, and and in fact necessary because the alternative to this is coercion. It is necessary that communities and organizations and churches be able to decide what they want to talk about and what they don't want to talk about.
1: Right, so when we're talking about free speech we're talking about in the public square so that applies to many college campuses as well because those are publicly funded institutions yes we're not talking about private spaces
0: yeah so like my discord server no one can come into my discord server and claim that i am required to post pictures of prolapsed anuses on my discord server (laughs) because that or you know that in order to be part of my community one must You know, say or not say XYZ. No, the community that I'm in gets to decide, my community, my Discord's community, I get to decide what are the norms for that community. And in fact, to come in and infringe upon those norms is to violate and to coerce the norms that I have established. And that is in itself a a form of violation. So that is why freedom of association, you cannot have free speech without also talking about freedom of association. But that said, my concern is that many of the neutral spaces, both private and public, that facilitate important and challenging conversation about difficult subjects that those places are narrowing. So there was a recent... Tell tell people about this amazing... Um, oh, do you want to talk about Riley's TikTok first?
1: Yeah, that would be great. So they, Riley is a minister of Satan, and they made a TikTok, and it was really cute. And they were talking about when they're addressing their congregation, especially new members of the Satanic Temple in their area, and they explain TST's fourth tenet, which is, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. And the TikTok they made was was cute because they had I think it was Taylor Swift lyrics and they said that they get horrified looks from everyone in the room.
0: <laughs> yes, and so they're lip syncing. Riley Phoebus is lick is lip syncing to this song where it's like horrified looks from everyone in the room.
1: Yeah, that's that's very interesting to me because I feel, as as a person and a member of the Satanic, Satanic Temple, but not a minister of Satan, I feel that support of free speech in the fourth tenet is one of the things, honestly, that drew me to the Satanic Temple the most, because I was like, this is a principled approach that I can get behind.
0: Me too. No, me too. I, I love the fourth tenet. It's one of my favorite tenets. And, and it's yeah.
1: reminiscent of something that I remember, and I put this in separate notes, sorry, but I, I remember... Uh, Christopher Hitchens, I was listening to one of his talks and he quoted Lincoln and he said, just as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. In order to claim the right not to be censored, one must also claim the right to not be a censor and insist upon it.
0: Yes. Why do we love this so much? Well, A, obviously it keeps civilization running. Free speech is crucial for civilization, but also... It has a special place in our heart because the rights that minorities have would not be possible without free speech. So I, as a gay person and Murphy as a member of the Uterati, as a female, as a woman, we, we would
1: not have the freedoms that we currently have were free speech, not robustly defended as a principle.
0: Absolutely. So there's this fantastic letter Uh, On Free Speech by Jenny Martinez, who is Stanford Law School's dean. And she wrote just the most fantastic and robust defense of free speech. Um, We're not going to read all of it, but this is a segment of it. It is a bit long, but it is very worthwhile. So strap in and absorb all of it. Here's what she says, quote, Our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion is not going to take the form of having the school administration announce institutional positions on a wide range of current social and political issues, make frequent institutional statements about current news events, or exclude or condemn speakers who hold views on social and political issues with whom some or even many in our community disagree. I believe that focus on these types of actions as the hallmark of an inclusive environment can lead to creating and enforcing an institutional orthodoxy that is not only at odds with our core commitment to academic freedom, but also that would create an echo chamber that ill prepares students to go out into and act as effective advocates in a society that disagrees about many important issues. Some students might feel that some points should not be up for argument and therefore that they should not bear the responsibility of arguing them or even hearing arguments about them. But however appealing that position might be in some other context, it is incompatible with the training that must be delivered in a law school. Law students are entering a profession in which their job is to make arguments on behalf of clients whose very lives may depend on their professional skill. Just as doctors in training must learn to face suffering and death and respond in their professional role. Lawyers in training must learn to confront injustice or views they don't agree with and respond as attorneys. There is a temptation to create a system in which people holding views perceived by some as harmful or offensive are not allowed to speak to avoid giving legitimacy to their views or upsetting members of the community. But history teaches us that this is a temptation to be avoided. I can think of no circumstance in which giving those in authority the right to decide what is and is not acceptable content for speech has ended well. Indeed, the power to suppress speech is often very quickly directed towards suppressing the views of marginalized groups. We see this today, both around the United States and around the globe. And at key moments in history, robust protection for the rights of association and speech has been critical for the advance of social movements for historically marginalized groups. e.g. Gay Students Organization of University of New Hampshire v. Bonner. Thus, I believe that strong protection for freedom of speech is a bedrock principle that ultimately supports diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that we must do everything in our power to ensure that it endures.
1: That is the best thing I read all year, and hearing you read it was even better.
0: Yeah, it makes me so fucking horny. I want to, like, slap my boy (laughs) pussy to... That quote on free speech.
1: I will come right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so fucking wet. Okay, so um, I but I think that there is also an important point here where she's talking about lawyers and how it is the duty of a lawyer to hear arguments that we that they disagree with and then respond intelligently to it. That isn't just the job of a lawyer. That's the job of a citizen. That's the job of an educated human being, of a well-reasoned, thoughtful human being. Any human who thinks must confront viewpoints that they disagree with. And so what she is saying here about lawyers, just insert human. And And
1: especially activist, right? If you want to make a difference, if you have an argument worth putting forward, you need to be able to hear counter arguments.
0: Yep. Absolutely. All right. Are we done? Are we done stroking our free speech boners?
1: I mean, I put power. I put a couple more bullet points that we could talk. about.
0: Oh, let's see. Hold on. <laughs> if you can understand the power dynamic. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Talk through that real fast, because I think that that's helpful.
1: So I think a lot of the arguments that I've heard because I want to hear them. I want if I'm I'm wrong. I want to know why I'm wrong. So a lot of the people that disagree that, you know, people like Augustus Sol Invictus or Church Militant should have platforms as saying it's a power dynamic there. You shouldn't they shouldn't be allowed to have a platform and espouse those view- those views. Right. Yes. So I think if you can understand the power dynamics and just being able to speak your views, then it's so It's it seems like it should be a logical next step, in my opinion, to understand that the power to censor someone is involved in that as well. And that's the power, really. When you're defending free speech, you're making sure that people are not censoring. And I think that's really important to understand. And uh, you can cut this out and I don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. But I was at work earlier and I was just writing down some stuff like on paper. But there's a quote from a play that's it's. There's a character named William Roper. Yeah, let me, can I, can I find it and send it to you and you read it because your voice is better?
0: Yeah, please do. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I was at work earlier and I was like, oh yeah, there was that thing.
0: <laughs> so Murphy just sent me this fantastic quote. It's by Robert Bolt and the play is A Man for All Seasons, a play in two acts. So William Roper. So now you give the devil the benefit of the law, Sir Thomas More. Yes, What would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? William Roper. Yes, I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Sir Thomas More. Oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper, the laws all being flat? This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast man's laws not god's and if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then yes i'd give the devil benefit of the law for my own safety's sake
1: and i i just love that because especially for satanists i mean in this example where they're defending free speech they're They're talking about a literal devil in this scenario, right? Like the actual devil, we would give him the benefit of the law. And we need people like that to hold those views so we can speak, even though we don't believe in a literal devil. And if we want our rights to be defended, we have to defend other people's as well.
0: Absolutely. I think Satanists are, incidentally, a very good test for that. Would you actually defend the devil if defending the devil means? Also protecting yourself.
1: Oh, and we talked. I texted you about this earlier, but I haven't added it to the outline. Do we need to talk about Randaza?
0: Yeah, let's talk about Randaza because he's another good example of the challenges of free speech. There was a there was another kerfuffle regarding free speech within TST surrounding a lawyer named what's his first name? Mark. Mike? Mark, named Mark Randaza. So Murphy, take it away.
1: Yeah, so a couple years ago, the Satanic Temple accepted pro bono, which for those, I think everybody knows what it means, but that means free legal support from a First Amendment lawyer named Mark Rondaza. And Mark Rondaza supports free speech. Who needs free speech defended? Well, normally, people that other people find offensive, right? <laughs> so, Mark Rondaza has supported neo-nazis before and when i say supported doesn't mean he agrees with them he has offered them his legal what is the word he's been their lawyer he He has defended legal
0: consultation
1: yeah he has been their lawyer he's offered them legal advice he's defended them as they have been his client um but he's also like he's supported far left-wing clients and far right-wing clients but of course no one ever talks about The far left wing clients, they just say, oh, well, you must espouse the views of the worst people you've ever possibly deployed your services towards. Yeah. But if you've helped somebody nice, you can't possibly have those views. It makes no sense. Anyways,
0: (laughs) that was a rant. No. And the important thing about that situation is his personal views don't don't matter. Let's assume let's assume he is a douchebag. Let's assume he does believe horrible things. Okay,
1: I'm not saying that.
0: (laughs) Is he? It's like okay. Is he a good lawyer? That's literally all that matters. He's doing a job for TST for free. Does
1: people because of the optics of it? Because online people could write TST is getting legal support from a neo-Nazi supporter from from Alex
0: Jones's lawyer. Well, yeah, yeah, that's You You would hope that Alex Jones would have a lawyer. If Alex Jones doesn't have a lawyer, then the legal system in America has collapsed.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And if anybody finds that appalling, you want everyone in this country to have the best representation available.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: Anyways, so yeah, the whole chapter of TST disbanded. That was a it's written about in Joseph Laycock's book, Speak of the Devil. And that's common in In any type of new religious movement where people break off and they have disagreements and that's fine. I don't have any problem with people deciding the satanic temple isn't for them because we follow our principles.
0: Yes, absolutely. But I
1: I do have a problem, I will argue until I'm blue in the face, with someone who says that accepting legal support from Mark Rondaza is akin to Jewish genocide and you're supporting hate speech and you're... No, we are trying to defend our own rights with free legal representation from someone who is qualified to give it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I I thought about this earlier when I was at work, but I, I think it's important to note it's common for activists like TST is a religious organization, but we take part in activism as an expression of our sincerely held religious beliefs. And it is common for activist organizations who defend free speech to go through similar instances. And I just wanted to give an example. In Skokie, Illinois in 1977, the ACLU defended neo-Nazis free speech and they lost 15% of their membership. Leaders were harassed because they decided to do so. People were very upset. And one of the lead lawyers was a Jewish man and his rabbi was upset with him. And was that even, oh, was ahead.
0: that Ira Glasser?
1: Possibly. I didn't write down the name. No worries. And he ended up having to leave the state eventually. And the ACLU held his ground. They said government may never solely oh, may never censor free speech solely because it is loathed, despised or feared. It must be an inviolable, indivisible principle and it must remain strong. And I think when we talk about this stuff, people fail to realize, which will be our next point about people being censored due to a feeling of disgust. But they, I think some people live in this liberal mindset, this liberal height heavens that's not congruent with reality where they think we're just helping people. We're protecting people. And I just, I, I want people to understand like, A few years before that happened in Skokie, Illinois, there was a town in Illinois called Cicero, and it was a very segregated town. And people tried to argue that Martin Luther King's speech was hate speech. So it's about who defines hate speech.
0: And that is a very, very dangerous game to
1: play. I think you can describe this better than me. Why people feel so righteous They get that adrenaline rush when they censor because they feel disgust or fear
0: yes so and i wrote an article that touches on this called in defense of the fourth tenet of the satanic temple and one of the arguments that i make there is one of the primary reasons people want to censor speech is because of disgust we don't care about speech that's inoffensive or actions that are inoffensive No one is trying to censor Anglicans from, you know, playing bridge and drinking sherry together. We're angry at art, at representations, at speech that offends us to the core, that cuts us to the core, that wounds us. And the problem that that it hurts
1: questions who we are. I think you can speak about this more than I can. I mean, I've. I've dealt with misogynistic speech, but I feel like I have a pretty thick skin. I don't really give a fuck, but you're a very nice person. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I would assume that when people, because you've experienced that, when people try to discriminate against you or tell you that being gay is wrong, that's who you are. And
0: Yes, and it hurts, and it's it's deeply painful, and it is deeply wounding. However, those feelings of disgust and hurt and offense are not in themselves sufficient for determining what is or is not appropriate speech or rather legal speech because offense is profoundly subjective sometimes offense is correct sometimes offense is incredibly wrong and misguided so we cannot rely on offense as a measure of what speech is dangerous or or what speech should be permitted and what speech should not be permitted. Instead, we have to have legal, clear litmus tests. We have to have something above and beyond offense. The problem is that offense is the primary motivator and it is this deeply kind of pure emotion that is so clear when we feel it. And it is such a powerful human emotion, but as hurt as I have been, by homophobes and by theocrats. I will never say that they should be silenced because to do so would be to imperil my own rights. I think it is incredibly dangerous to tell pastors, you cannot preach homophobic things from your pulpit or you know your, s- certain slurs must be outlawed. And my personal philosophy is that I am in fact made stronger by the presence of hate speech.
1: Yeah, so I think in the case of, you know, whether or not a neo-Nazi should be allowed to speak or what happened at Stanford that caused the dean to write the letter that Stephen read so well earlier was there was a Federalist Society judge and there was a Federalist Society on campus that invited him. So there are students on campus who wanted to hear him speak. And... Because the Federalist Society and all those people, he was talking about, I believe, Twitter, guns and one other topic, but he wasn't he wasn't talking about homophobia. He wasn't talking about white supremacy, but all of those things are intertwined. And we we have evidence that they are one and the same in some aspects. And so they said, you're not allowed to speak. We don't want to hear it on our campus. And I believe that is a very, I, they're crusading and they're doing it from a place of wanting to protect minorities from harm, harm being words. But we have to focus on the power to censor as much as we talk about the power to speak. And I think it's, it's incongruent with reality, especially when we're talking about it now, we have to be more realistic because look at who is in power. Look at who's yes. making these decisions. If we are censoring the Federalist society on college campuses, those are the people that grow up to sit on the benches. So many of the judges are members of the Federalist society making these determinations and yes, they're supposed to be neutral in accordance with law. but if we're six su- if we're seeding neutrality and they're experiencing the result of that, they will be motivated to do the same to us.
0: Yeah, they will be the devil who we have no protection from because we have removed all of the laws and protections in that illustration.
1: And I think I'm sorry, we we talk about this so much, but it's just so important. I think we have to understand how wrong this can go and how quickly and it is a human instinct because there was the example of David Irving. Do you know about that?
0: Is he the British Holocaust denier guy?
1: A Holocaust denier He was going to give a speech in Austria. And obviously, neither Stephen nor I would deny the Holocaust, but we think he has the right to speak. And this man, the minute his plane landed in Austria, before he'd even spoke, he was arrested. Yeah. It's the literal definition of a thought crime. And it's because they wanted to protect people from hearing this nonsense that the Holocaust wasn't real they were trying to protect people but it resulted in someone being imprisoned
0: all right are we done (laughs) are we now are we now done stroking our free speech boners no it's okay I can I can stroke the free speech boner just all day long
1: yeah I just think it's so important and that's why it's so important to Satanists. just bring that back around it's all if you want to be a Satanist how can you be a Satanist and not support free speech
0: I know. I I completely agree. But there are quite a few who don't. There are a lot of people for whom the fourth tenet is the deal breaker for them.
1: The people that are afraid that speech equates to violence. You have to look at what happens when TST tries to do our after school Satan clubs, which we won't go down that. But I mean, they try to censor us just because they believe we're violent.
0: Because they believe that that. The presence of a Satanist opens the door to hell.
1: Exactly. And obviously that's not true, but if they have the power to censor, that's what will happen.
0: So we have two final sections here to cover. No, three. Jesus Christ. Okay. We have three final sections to cover here. The we'll do
1: it quickly. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I think some I think a lot of this we will actually be able to run down really quickly because there is less kind of philosophical underpinning behind it.
1: Yeah, it's very factual.
0: So Lucian's law. We argue in our article that Lucian's law works. Sword argues. The opposite. Sword invited the readers to, quote, consider the Satanic Temple's track record of litigation and defending the separation of church and state. And he makes the claim that, despite a lack of legal victories, the Satanic Temple continues to litigate in the name of religious pluralism. This tactic of there goes the neighborhood, the idea that if evangelical Christians are legally forced to share their privileges with others, they'll give up in disgust, simply hasn't been shown to work. So what he's arguing here is that TST asserting itself in the public square when Christians are also doing the same, that they're, that Christians never back down. Now that has never, that is not, True. What's important to clarify is that TST is seeks to have inclusion and representation in forums where Christians are represented. So this is things like uh, uh, the lawns of government property where there is a Ten Commandment monument. TST wants to put a Baphomet monument to genuinely represent religious plurality. Stuff like that. One outcome— of these actions is that realizing the consequences <laughs> of their actions, Christians withdraw and say, no, never mind, we don't want this. Um, and
1: David Williamson, the founder of Central Florida Freethought Community, coined the phrase Lucian's Law, and it's to describe the impact of TST's involvement Governments will either, one, close open forums when the Satanic Temple asks to speak, or two, censor the Satanic Temple, thereby opening itself to legal liability.
0: S.W.O.R.D. claims that Lucian's Law does not work. This is on its face untrue. We provide just three examples out of a multitude that we could have given. The three are one, Baphomet on state capitol grounds in Oklahoma, TST filed to erect a Baphomet statue alongside a Ten Commandments monument that was already on the state capitol grounds. TST believes that if you open the door to God, then because of pluralism, you must open the door to Satan. So TST filed an application for the monument, and this led to a massive pluralistic boom of all of these other organizations and churches submitting their own applications
1: and i actually think that's a beautiful thing if there's going to be religious representation let's let's have religious representation everybody's invited
0: i mean i i just can imagine what that lawn in oklahoma could have looked like
1: yeah you've got your buddha statue you You've got Shiva. your flying spaghetti monster.
0: <laughs> you have your pagan gods. You have, I don't know, the atheists have a bench because they're atheists and they're boring. So they have a bench.
1: But they also want it to be functional. So you can actually sit. It's not just to look at.
0: There you go. Atheists are always functional. And instead, the open forum was closed and the ACLU fought that case, ended up winning that case.
1: So there was two things going on. The ACLU was litigating to close the public forum, saying that no, religious representation does not belong on state capitol grounds, which TST can get behind. Right. Like we don't want as long as it's not exclusive religious privilege granted to one religion, we don't have to be there. And the ACLU won the case, so the Ten Commandments monument was taken down. Therefore, TST withdrew our application to install our monument, because if they're not going to have religious things, we're not going to litigate to open that door.
0: So the important thing here is that while TST did just file their request to erect the monument, it wasn't, as J.D. Sword said in the article, just posturing. No, the presence of TST really changed the conversation. It changed the debate on the floor where the debates were happening, and it changed the public perception. So there, we have a, the record of of one uh, voicemail to a lawmaker, which said,
1: "I'm going to beg this community not to put that satanic crap on the lawn of our White House." Our state building, whatever, where the governor lives, it can't be done. And if they're combating that just to get the just to take the Ten Commandments down, then take the damn Ten Commandments down.
0: (laughs) Amazing. You are, in fact, a Texan.
1: (laughs) I am. That's how (laughs) my mom sounds. Amazing.
0: We are both (laughs) Southerners and we have both worked very hard to to gloss over our accents
1: that was uh one of my concerns when i was drinking i was like i'm not gonna say any of my g's
0: (laughs) (laughs) so tst's presence really changed the conversation and this is all documented in joseph laycock's book speak of the devil
1: okay so that is one example of lucian's law working but just so everyone knows Had TST, had the Ten Commandments monument stayed on state capitol grounds, if the ACLU had lost and they said, "Okay, the Ten Commandments can go here, TST would not have withdrawn our application to install a monument. And if our application had been denied, there would have been litigation. And that's exactly what happened in Arkansas.
0: Right. Exactly. Okay. so example number two, Satan in public schools. So. In 2013, the FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they wrote a letter to a public school in Florida, in Orange County, Florida, requesting that they halt all distributions of religious materials because there were evangelical Christians at that school distributing Bibles to children. Now, the school... District refused and claimed that it was not a First Amendment violation because they had an, an open forum. So in response, TST offered to distribute the Satanic Children's Big Book of Activities, which is a very cute uh, book that teaches things like free thinking and it has coloring and so, so on and so forth. It's very sweet.
1: It does not indoctrinate children into Satanism.
0: Yes, absolutely. It, it really doesn't have much of anything to do with Satan. It's just a coloring book that teaches critical thinking. <laughs> so uh, the school determined that TST's participation in the public forum was just far too appalling to be accepted. And they chose to close the forum. So yet again, we see Lucian's law working.
1: Yes. So fuck you, JD Sword, you idiot. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Um,
1: You want me to do this one real fast? I think I can do it quickly. Sure. Um, So there's also inclusive religious invocations. Across the U.S., there are invocations given at council meetings, and that was challenged, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court because more often than not, those are religious in nature, and more often than not, it's Christian prayer that's being delivered. And that was litigated because they said that it felt divisive. And the Supreme Court ruled... Our tradition assumes that adult citizens, firm in their own beliefs, can tolerate and perhaps appreciate a ceremonial prayer delivered by a person of a different faith. So the Satanic Temple assumes the justices are sincere in their affirmations of plurality and that local governments will honor this ruling by committing themselves to non-discriminatory policies and practices.
0: As a result, the Satanic Temple decided to deliver a satanic invocation at various council meetings, but a satanic reading invoking reason and autonomy and critical thinking was apparently not something that the city of Phoenix, Arizona was willing to tolerate. And instead, they shut down their 65-year tradition of opening the council meetings with a public prayer. And they replaced it with a moment of silence. So
1: they decided instead of doing what the justices said would be permissible, which is being an adult and listening to people of different faiths. They said, no, nobody can do this at all. Just be quiet.
0: (laughs) So we have that third example. So S.W.O.R.D. wrote, quote, Worse than that, if this strategy does actually work, the net result will be more religious privilege from government, not less. If secularists believe that religion has no place in dictating the laws of the land, this would be a disastrous outcome. So this is a profound misunderstanding. Yeah, I
1: want to make a fart (laughs) sound, but I can't do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, very good. That was it. And uh, TST is not seeking to impose its specific religious beliefs upon anybody else or to codify them. It's not it, it's seeking impartiality in government. It's requiring plurality and equal representation and removing the supremacy of one religious viewpoint.
1: Right. Exactly. And so to say this is arguing that in the way that Evangelical that uh, that theocratic Christians impose their beliefs into law and say everybody must do this thing that if TST wants to participate as well, we must be doing that same thing and no we do, TST does not seek to impose our beliefs upon anybody else.
0: Also I just have to say out I feel like out of all the points in this article, this one is the that one's the easiest to validate. Like that yeah, it was
1: it was annoying.
0: Anyone can just look up the news stories or read Joseph Laycock's book. Anyone can just look up the the news stories or watch the movie Hail Satan.
1: So someone commented like the 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 examples that Stephen and Murphy included were childishly simple or something. It's like, "Yes, we had to do this because it got published" saying that all TST does is posture and this has never said, been able to work.
0: Who said it was childly childishly simple? What does that mean?
1: I don't know. Just like it was so easy to find.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it was so fucking easy to find like you do a Google search for
1: But it is it was difficult as fuck to pick three specific examples and condense them into yep. a paragraph.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to the next monster of a topic which is reproductive care. So the bulk of JD Swords article focused on reproductive care and the activism that the Satanic Temple has engaged in to help provide better reproductive care as a religious right. So it's important for us to take a step back and talk about what is it that TST is actually doing? I have also done multiple episodes about this. So there are there are two main services that we want to focus on here. And one is the abortion rit- the religious abortion ritual and then the other is TST health. So I'm just going to read directly from the website because it's really important <laughs> to get this information right. What is the religious abortion ritual? Quote, "The Satanic Temple's religious abortion abortion. <laughs> 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 the Satanic Temple's religious abortion ritual exempts TST members from enduring medically unnecessary and unscientific regulations when seeking to terminate their pregnancy. The ritual involves the recitation of two of our tenets and a personal affirmation that is ceremoniously intertwined with the abortion." Because prerequisite procedures such as waiting periods, mandatory viewing sonograms, and compulsory counseling contravene Satanists' religious convictions, those who perform the religious abortion ritual are exempt from these requirements and can receive first-trimester abortions on demand in states that have enacted the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It is centered around Tenet 3. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. And tenet, five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's belief. The religious rite includes a personal affirmation. By my body, my blood, by my will, it is done. The Satanic Temple's abortion ritual serves to cast off notions of guilt, shame, and mental discomfort that a patient may experience when choosing to have a medically safe abortion. Even the most confident and unapologetic individual can experience uncomfortable feelings and anxiety when choosing to terminate their pregnancy. Laws in many states that impose waiting periods and state-mandated counseling can exacerbate these feelings, as can social condemnation and outright harassment by those who oppose abortion. This ritual is designed to alleviate these stressors and empower the patient to be guided by an appreciation of their bodily autonomy and knowledge of best scientific information about the process. The purpose of the ritual is not to persuade someone to have an abortion if they are undecided. Rather, the ritual assists in affirming their decision. The ritual, which includes the abortion itself, spans the entirety of the pregnancy termination procedure. There are steps to be performed before, during, and after the medical or surgical abortion. Okay, so I know that was a mouthful, but it's important to get all that information in here. So basically, the the abortion ritual turns abortion into a manifestation of a Satanist's deeply held values in a ritual form.
1: Comforting. It's affirming. It's... Letting you know not to feel shame that's imposed by society.
0: Just to also quickly talk about TST Health. It's a big topic. We won't get too far into it. But TST TST Health opened the Sam Alito's Mom Satanic Abortion Clinic in New Mexico. And it is a telehealth service that provides abortifacients. A it has... Uh, medical professionals. Uh, It is staffed with licensed nurses who have years of reproductive health experience and an advanced nurse practitioner who prescribes the abortifacient medication. Uh, The clinic conducts confidential telehealth visits and screenings and arranges discrete shipping of medication and provides 24-7 hotline support and aftercare. So the clinic is providing tangible care to people in need. And it does so as a religious act, right? So it is providing the context and the services so that people can use the satanic religious abortion ritual. However, J.D. Sword objects. J.D. Sword, and I think this is the most important part to address, sword questions whether tst deserves secularist support because its legal strategy relating to abortion as a religious exemption is quote thus far has thus far been untested in a court of law
1: we pointed out that the legal strategy of asserting a religious liberty claim when the government infringes upon an individual's ability to live and or practice in accordance with their sincerely held religious beliefs is tested, tried, and true. In fact, other minorities are making similar legal arguments in court because they also believe that these restrictions infringe upon their sincerely held religious beliefs. And we just wanted to point out that religious liberty exemptions are evaluated using strict scrutiny when a law targets a specific religious faith. So what that means is that the government, if the government is going to infringe upon somebody's right to live in accordance with their sincerely sincerely held religious beliefs, the restriction must be the least restrictive means available to the government. So clearly, if abortion is allowed in other states, if in the state there are exceptions to abortion, such as for rape and incest, then there are less restrictive means available to obtaining an abortion. And that applies to waiting periods as well. If they say you need to get a sonogram and then wait 3 days before you can go get your abortion there are less restrictive means 2 days is less restrictive than 3 days
0: <laughs> yes so this is the door that is opened by you know religious liberty exemptions which are evaluated under strict scrutiny but also in recent years the the religious freedom restoration act laws or rifra laws have been expanded in various states so that religions just have greater uh, uh, autonomy and power to do what they want. Well, that applies to the satanic temple as well.
1: While individuals are losing their rights to get an abortion based on all of the old legal arguments that were valid for 50 years, there were 50 year precedents that said that abortion is a fundamental right. And as we all know, The Supreme Court recently ruled that those are invalid. So it doesn't matter that things were tested in in the past. They're not valid now. However, religious liberty claims are being expanded almost on a daily basis.
0: We're at a point where the we're at a point where the United States government is far more amenable than it has ever been to granting exemptions and freedoms on the basis of religion. At the same time, the old freedoms that people took for granted under a right to privacy, which was the precedent set by Roe v. Wade, are being eroded uh, massively. They're completely gone. (laughs) Not eroded. They're gone. They were being eroded for decades, and now they're just gone. And so TST is taking a strong, affirmative, and aggressive stance claiming religious freedom. And there's, there's an implied criticism here that I think is worth getting to, which is when people say, this is untested in court. This is, we don't know if this will work. This is untested in court. That is not a good reason not to try because that is not how fighting for one's rights works. No one... No one, you know, gay people didn't say, "Oh, you know, the right to gay marriage is untested in court, therefore we shouldn't fight for it." No, that's bullshit. Even
1: if it had, it doesn't mean you don't go back and do it again.
0: Exactly, because this is that's how activism works. There are stops and starts. There are going to be losses, and so even if there was, even if there are legal losses, you keep fighting. You keep trying. Because
1: it is a fundamental right. And this is why, in my opinion, I I think Stephen's point and the implied criticism is absolutely correct. But also it's important to note that TST isn't seeking to create a new law. Yes. This isn't a new class of civil rights. This is a class of civil rights that exists and we are entitled to it. We are simply claiming what we are guaranteed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: And So other religious groups are making similar legal arguments. However, TST's exemption is unique. And we believe Stephen and I believe that our approach is stronger than other claims because it's not solely our religious beliefs that are being infringed upon by unnecessary government restriction. It's our religious practice and our religious right.
0: TST is different and unique in comparison to other abortion activist groups.
1: Yes, RIFRA laws be- went into effect. They were originally enacted in Oregon State because an individual was denied benefits or Native American counselors were denied benefits and were fired for using peyote in their religious ceremonies. So they litigated and the government said, no, you should be able to have your religious rights, your religious ceremonies, and we shouldn't be able to fire you because you consumed peyote. And so that's very similar to what TST is doing with the abortion ritual. We're saying if we take this abortifacient medication, the government cannot infringe upon that because it's part of our religious ceremony. Yes, and absolutely. I think Matt, Matt Kazaya, TST's lawyer, made this example, and I think it's perfect. Interfering with TST's abortion ritual would be equivalent to prohibiting Native Americans from taking peyote during their religious rituals or interfering with a Catholic's ability to partake in communion. There are some places where the government's action is not warranted, and that is in religion and how you practice your religion. That's why there are religious liberty exemptions. It's, and we're trying to, TST is trying to use it in the way that it's meant as a shield from government interference, not as a sword to insert our beliefs into other people's lives Definitely. Leave us alone and let us be. (laughs)
0: So also another major point of contention in J.D. Sword's article that we respond to is that he claims that the way TST goes about activism for abortion could result in trouble for litigants. He claims that TST could be endangering litigants who tries to use the religious abortion ritual exemption. And there is really only one good faith interpretation of this complaint.
1: The good faith interpretation of this claim that isn't valid (laughs) is that someone would try to use the abortion exemption and the act of trying would result in litigation. Yeah.
0: So TST is very clear about the process by which someone starts the litigation process regarding the abortion, the religious abortion ritual. And the website states if your religious exemption requests are denied when undergoing reproductive care or seeking to perform the satanic abortion ritual, immediately contact TST at RRR at the satanic temple.com with your name and phone number to start the next steps of resolving the situation and deciding whether to take legal action. Okay, so that's what the website says. And from there, TST would communicate with the litigant about their unique legal options and challenges and would clearly lay out the potential risks and rewards because this process differs by situation, and by state. So there is no one-size-fits-all. We reached out to Lucian for comment on this, and he says, we consult with our prospective plaintiffs and let them know up front what we can do, what we can't do, and if we agree to take their individual case to court, we are clear that legal victory is not a guarantee. If a prospective client does not consult with us but attempts to use our exemption anyway, the exemption may be denied but that's the extent of it. Nobody will arrest them or sue them for trying, end quote. And it's
1: unfortunate that that part got cut out of the article because it's so important.
0: I think that there is a fear about state overreach in terms of reproductive care. But that fear is p- potentially disabling people from fighting for their rights.
1: Yes, And I mean, it's a valid fear, right? There are bounty laws in Texas. It's a valid fear that the government will overreach. But it's important to state just attempting to use the exemption will not result in legal action.
0: That's right. As our and that is our opinion. uh, But from our perspective and our it, it seems very clear to us that you're
1: not breaking any laws by asking, can I be exempt from this?
0: Yes, exactly. And if you're denied, then you're denied, but you won't be arrested if you're denied.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And then that's that's what we're talking about. Depending on your situation, TST may or may not take legal action if your exemption is denied. But then and. Stephen may have to edit this out of this podcast, but there is a ridiculously bad faith complaint that sword repeats because it was made in a a Jezebel article by this lady named Susan Rinkuntis. There are serious problems with the Satanic Temple's current abortion exemption strategy. As a Jezebel article points out, the satanic temple cannot guarantee legal protection for members should they choose to purchase abortifacients despite suggesting their use as a religious ritual is protected. In a worst case scenario, pregnant people in hostile states who order pills could get arrested if they seek care for complications at a hospital or if someone reports them to the police.
0: Right, so that was the God. quote. Like, if somebody that was...
1: reads that, what you what you are going to get arrested while you are on the hospital bed? That yeah. is fear mongering. That's a terrible way to. Oh, it just it made me really upset, <laughs> and it's this notion of a sacrificial plaintiff. Like TST is careless.
0: Yes the I, the idea that TST is uncaring and does not care about the plaintiffs or the people seeking reproductive care. That is the opposite. TST is full of people who are members of the Uterati, who are passionate advocates for their own reproductive care and for the rights of others. And so to say that TST does not care that that these that a litigant or that a plaintiff would just be a sacrificial lamb is very gross.
1: Exactly. And I was just thinking, because I did live in Texas for 28 years of my life, and there are bounty laws in Texas that really prohibit and infringe upon women's right to bodily autonomy. And... I was picturing reading this article if I if I still lived in Texas and I didn't know anything about the Satanic Temple. And I just feel like the consequences of this irresponsible and uninformed rhetoric that's meant to fearmonger against the Satanic Temple could lead to much broader consequences. Like a pregnant person in Texas could be too scared that they'll be arrested on their hospital bed if they have medical complications from a from consuming abortifacients or at the same time from a comorbid condition because they don't want to be caught. And or in any state with these restrictions, and they may not seek the medical care that they need for fear they're going to be arrested on their hospital bed.
0: So, you know, on the one hand, it is really important to keep a close eye on the legal situation in your state, on the evolving legal situations. And that's
1: why it's so important like to note that in many many in the majority of states that have these draconian restrictions there are explicit caveats for the pregnant person that protect them from direct legal action okay and because roe fell we don't know how all these laws are going to be applied everything is new it is an ever-changing landscape but when roe fell many states had trigger laws that went into place so there are some states like alabama I know as an example that a trigger law might go into effect and someone may have to pay a monetary penalty if they got an abortion, the actual person that was pregnant. So that that is a thing, but they're not getting arrested on their hospital bed. And the reason why this, this part particularly pisses me off is because in every single state, the legal restrictions and the consequences apply to the the medical professional and or the clinic that is providing the abortion because they're saying you're aiding and abetting abortion. So there is no, I can say this confidently even though I'm not a lawyer because I'm just not an idiot, there is no medical provider who wants to give abortion care or reproductive health care that is going to do so in a state where it's restricted and not inform the person receiving the care of the potential consequences. Do you not know what informed consent is? They're required to do that. It's a moral obligation. And I highly doubt that J.D. Sword is warning anybody else who lives in these states that receive abortion care in neighboring states and then returned, maybe from Planned Parenthood or some other provider, do not go to the hospital if you're experiencing complications. You'll get arrested. And if he's interested in fear-mongering to that degree for anyone who lives in those states and seeks seeks reproductive care, then he can go join Liberty Council because he's a piece of shit.
0: (laughs) There is a point at which reasonable concern, reasonable fear over the shape of these laws tips into hysteria and actually works against people getting the care that they need.
1: Exactly. And so TST's legal exemption for these procedures and for this medication, it's a religious exemption. The medical professional or the clinic, there isn't one that exists that would not consult TST before offering that care under the exemption to a clinic. So basically the exemption is an invitation for them to enter that legal battle alongside TST because TST is willing and wants to aid and abet in reproductive health care. But that's something that's going to be decided by TST in a conversation with the person providing it, the clinic providing it and the patient before it happens.
0: No, I mean, it's it's super complicated. And I'm always like I'm always in a way over my head whenever whenever we start talking law stuff because I'm just not a lawyer. We should have Matt on to talk, I did have Matt on once to talk about this stuff, but maybe I should do it I know he would love again. to,
1: and he can do it way better than me. I'm just angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I thought we were going to do this way faster, and it's longer. I'm so sorry. I thought it was going to be efficient.
0: <laughs> no, we are being efficient. I feel like this is actually a better episode. So let's get into diverting funds.
1: Oh, uh, wait. I I kind of just want to point out in JD Sword's article. He references TST's Missouri case, and it's another notion of the sacrificial plaintiff. And he says that TST chose to involve itself in the case of pseudonymous plaintiff Mary Doe. Stated this way, it leads a a reader to believe that the specific person known as Mary Doe would have had a legal case regardless of the Satanic Temple's involvement. In actuality, the Satanic Temple planned on challenging Missouri's abortion restrictions on their merits and simply needed any pregnant person who identified as a Satanist and was willing to sue. Mary Doe wanted to fill that role role, and became TST's plaintiff using TST's legal strategy. This was later, after Mary Doe's case was dismissed, this was litigated again. Was it Judy Doe?
0: Judy Doe, yeah.
1: Judy Doe did the same thing. So it was nothing about Mary Doe personally. And I I wanted to point that out because he was disingenuous in the way that he introduced this. And also, so in J.D. Sword's article, he wrote, Ultimately in 2017, federal judge Howard Sack ruled the abortion rights of Missouri women guaranteed by constitutional rulings are being denied on a daily basis and in an irreparable fashion. And J.D. Sword wrote, just like that, access to abortion services were expanded and had nothing to do with the satanic temple or its lawsuit. So most readers would read the judge's quote within the context of Sword's article and assume the abortion services that the judge expanded were the same ones TST's lawsuit in Missouri challenged. However, that's not the case. The ruling in Missouri he was referencing was about completely unrelated restrictions on abortion. Specifically, restrictions requiring abortion doctors to have hospital admitting privileges and abortion clinics to meet the specifics of am amblu, How do you say that word?
0: Ambulatory. Yep. Yeah.
1: And meet the specifications of ambulatory surgical centers. Sword's decision to compare two lawsuits that each advocate to expand abortion rights but challenge completely separate abortion restrictions is a strange way to argue against TST's abortion activism.
0: Yes. So, and there's also. I mean, we don't have the time to get into the case of Mary Doe, but there is a common argument that Mary Doe was mistreated by TST. This is not true. And Mary Doe was not a cash cow for TST as the case
1: came at no legal expense to her whatsoever.
0: (laughs) The case came at no legal expense to her. And uh, Lucian Greaves has written a long article about the Mary Doe case that addresses a lot of these concerns, and I will link to it in the show notes. Um, Okay, the final big issue regarding abortion is that TST diverts funds from other well-established reproductive rights organizations, and that by doing so, TST is hindering the cause and actually harming the cause rather than helping it. So we, Murphy and I, fundamentally disagree with this characterization because we just don't believe that the nonprofit landscape is a zero-sum game like the fucking Hunger Games, abortion edition, where you know it's like your catness fucking everdeen out there with a bow and arrow having to kill you know some other abortion provider to get their money that is not how this works it does not have to be a zero-sum game
1: it's such a silly argument for someone i believe the article quotes tea and planned parenthood if if Having a service that provides abortion takes away from other abortion services. And if that's your principle that you're operating on, then those two are against each other as well.
0: Yes, exactly. It it it, it's a disingenuous argument because what's beneath it is TST should stop. It isn't a it isn't about it isn't about diverting funds. It's about we don't like TST and it should stop. It, it's even a,
1: though we now have the abortion clinic that is providing tangible care to individuals that need it yes EST should stop
0: yeah exactly and so this this one is frustrating I don't know how to get this message across but
1: its it's, it's frustrating because it's just if you argue, to me and it's going to sound ridiculous but it's because this claim is ridiculous it's like arguing that if you donate to an organization that's working to combat climate change that you're responsible for a child dying of starvation right because yeah. you didn't donate to one that's going to feed it
0: you know it's also TST is filling us is, is filling a specific role and what TST is doing is very unique in the religious rights in the reproductive rights world, it is doing something very unique, which is, prov- you know, providing reproductive care and and fighting for it as a religious right, and that's very different from what these other organizations are doing.
1: Right. And if if that's truly what Sword has a problem with, oh well, because the way he wrote it, he said by asking members to donate, the Satanic Temple diverts financial resources that might have otherwise been given to organizations with a proven track record of success okay, let's pretend like that's a valid claim. And your problem, his problem is actually that the satanic temple is arguing for a religious right to abortion. And he thinks that's ridiculous. And you should just support other organizations that argue on a secular basis that also don't have a right to abortion right now. Right. Why isn't he upset at the other claims being made like, if somebody's donating to the Jewish synagogue that's litigating this, is he upset about that? Are they stealing <laughs> funds?
0: No. There's also a deeper issue here, which is these different nonprofits and activist groups don't have to be enemies. T, the Texas Equity Alliance, I think is what it's called, or something like that. Equal Equality, Access or something? Equal Access Fund. Yes, the T Fund. T, Texas Equal Access Fund. Um, Planned Parenthood, you know, just these different organizations, they are providing important and unique services. And so is TST. And, right. and
1: I they think don't important. have to
0: fight each other.
1: Exactly. And I do. I think it's important because it has been said, and, and we, you and I believe that people can say things even when they're wrong. Um, TTEA has come out and said They've tweeted that the satanic temple cannot help you get an abortion. And, you know, they have attacked us as well on the same premise that we're diverting funds from them. And while we do not agree with that, we don't think it has any legitimacy. When I know me personally, when I've talked to people about this, they've said, well, you just need to listen to activists. Motherfucker, I hear them. I disagree.
0: (laughs) Yes. Listening and agreeing are two very different things. One final point on the diverting of funds before we move on to the last chapter of this marathon of a podcast. The the other concern that J.D. Sword raises and that many people raise is TST is not transparent with its finances. And so people feel that this means that TST must be self-enriching or doing something shady with the money. So here's the thing. TST is a church, and TST takes full advantage of its tax-exempt status. There are good-faith arguments. There are people of goodwill who have strong disagreements with even taking part in tax-exempt status as a church. That is an important argument that needs to happen, but it is beyond the scope of this episode. Needless to say, TST takes advantage of tax-exempt status for very important strategic reasons, and they're probably not going to stop. If you object to that on principle, that's fine. There are plenty of other organizations that you can give your money to. That's okay. You don't have to like it. But TST has taken a stand. It is a church, and it will take full advantage of tax-exempt status because the battle is too fierce right now for it not to. It needs those financial privileges to fight the battle that it has been fighting. Lucian Greaves, when when he asked him about this, uh, he responded, TST is legally recognized as a church. Therefore, a 990 form is not required. However, TST does not charge for membership. We do not tithe. We do not have annual dues and we primarily fundraise for 6 for fixed amounts and we primarily fundraise for fixed amounts for specific projects in our campaigns which we publicly follow through on. It is true that we have general and recurring donation avenues, and that has helped us given the unpredictability in all that we do and given the suddenness with which we sometimes must act. So, and finally, if you want to know where the money goes, just open a
1: motherfucking abortion clinic. That
0: is we, not cheap. <laughs> TST opened a motherfucking abortion clinic. There are multiple lawsuits going through the courts. There are on-the-ground programs and services that TST provides to its internal community like the programs provided by the satanic ministry all of that takes a fuck ton of money so if you want to know where the donation dollars are going to just look at the courts just look at the uh health clinic just look at all of these things and it takes a huge amount of money to do that stuff
1: i've been so annoyed by these claims of financial misgivings or the fact that the satanic temple that the Salem Art Gallery offer, operates as a for-profit organization the art gallery itself people have complained and said well that's not <laughs> like if you if you are a for-profit it's evil if you take advantage of tax exempt status that's equal evil these complaints aren't legitimate so i wrote an entire medium article that breaks down The various financial practices that are perfectly normal that if any other organization followed, no one would have a problem with. So if you want to read that, you can.
0: Yeah. And I will post a link to that in the show notes. If you are just really fucking bored one day and want to know everything that there is to know about TST's finances, then uh, go read this article. Okay, so. We are now at the final chapter, this last section is, in my personal view, one of the most important. At least it's the one that I feel the most deeply. Yeah,
1: I'm getting a new, I'm getting a water, I'm gonna rally, this is like Gatorade pep talk, let's go. (laughs)
0: Let's go. (gasps) This makes me nostalgic for like the good old days of podcasting where Matt Langston and I would just lock ourselves in a studio and record for six hours straight.
1: Oh, you've done that it, before. Okay, I'm glad. Oh yeah,
0: just to, no. This is not this is not the first time I've done that. I I've done marathon podcasts many times, and you just like lean into the delirium and sometimes get super fucking drunk and just enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm like five feet tall and a hundred pounds, and I've had two drinks, but that's a lot for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the final point that. I think is incredibly important is that TST is a church for imperfect people. And this is exemplified by Lucian Greaves himself, the co founder. Now, before we say all this, it is also very important for us to clarify Lucian is not the temple. Lucian is not the satanic temple. He is the co founder. Him and Malcolm Jerry have suffered enormous personal losses. They have sacrificed a lot for the Satanic Temple. We're very grateful to Lucian and Malcolm for the enormous sacrifices that they have made, the personal endangerment that they are in, the death threats that they get. They have put a lot on the line for the Satanic Temple. That said, they are not the Satanic Temple. So despite how much we talk about them, especially Lucian, they're not the Satanic Temple. The Satanic Temple is a broad, very diverse international community that includes thousands of people, many of whom disagree with the founders, many of whom have very different ideas of how things should work from the founders. And there is a lot of internal discussion about how best to move forward within the temple, and that's great. So Despite how much we are talking about Lucian in this episode, he is not the satanic temple. The satanic temple is the community. And so 20 years ago, Lucian Greaves appeared on a radio program called Radio Jihad for an episode, a 24-hour program that was called the Might is Right special. And it was to commemorate the release of a new edition of Ragnar Redbeard's book, Might is Right, which is a fascist pamphlet that Lucian had done some illustrations for. And Might is Right is historically significant for Satanism because Anton LaVey lifted large portions of the Satanic Bible out of Might is Right and kind of took away the racism stuff, but left all the other grossness in. And voila, you have (laughs) the Satanic Bible. So Lucian Greaves appeared on this podcast. He was in his Early twenties at the time, and he appeared alongside the he, he he appeared alongside some really horrific figures. One of whom was a renowned, a notorious white supremacist, and it was hosted by Shane Bugby and his wife, both of whom were just venomous anti Semites at the time. And he said some things that were construed as anti-semitic
1: right and if it's okay with you i just want to point out the way that this article was written right the main criticism was about tst's approach to abortion that's what it was supposed to be focused on should secularists support the satanic temple here's what they're doing with abortion but the reason why we you actually read the direct quote earlier when he's talking about lucian defending free speech and not entering not speaking at that consortium he said he included details about the other speaker and the implication was very heavily that clearly Lucian Greaves must be anti-semitic because he didn't want to speak at this and then this is another claim that's leveled bringing this up from 20 years ago is leveled supposedly in support of this claim that Lucian must be anti-Semitic. And that's why Stephen and I think it's worth talking about because if it's something like this is published by a credible outlet like Free Inquiry, you're going to think, oh, maybe this is legitimate. And yeah. we're here to tell you that it is not.
0: Here's what Lucian said. Here is one of actually several things that Lucian said, but this is, I think, the quote um, that has gotten the most circulation. Yes.
1: Do you think... I'm I'm thinking of you because you actually podcast. Do you, even though my voice is annoying. Do you want me to read this part so that there's not a clip, an audio clip of you out there saying this?
0: Ah! <laughs> sure, you you say it.
1: <clears throat> so when Stephen and I first started writing this, we emailed all the editor a list of our concerns that we felt that were raised based on Swords article, and so I'm just gonna read. What we sent to him, that includes the quote from Lucian's podcast. The Radio Jihad conversation is selectively quote-mined to give the impression that Lucian held an anti-Semitic rather than anti-superstition stance. Sword decided to include a selective portion of Lucian's statement from the radio program literally 20 years past. The quote was, I think it's okay to hate Jews if you hate them because they're Jewish and they wear a stupid fucking Frisbee on their head and walk around and think they're God's chosen people. Yet, Sword failed to include the rest of Greaves' statement that immediately followed. But it's not okay to hate somebody born of Jewish descent just because their parents were stupid fucking Jews and wore stupid Frisbees on their head and thought the Jews were God's chosen people. I mean, if that's not what they choose to go along with, then they're normal people too. I mean, if they were born of Jewish blood, but they don't follow that whole Zionism thing, they're okay. We admit that Lucian's anti-superstition stance was poorly articulated. It is clear, however, that Lucian was expressing hatred towards theism and not espousing hatred towards Jewish people due to their heritage. It's, we should also note, Lucian no longer holds this opinion and has issued a written apology for these statements. His actions for the past decade in support of pluralism blatantly contradict S.W.O.R.D.'s attempt to characterize Lucian as anti-Semitic. The inclusion of the Radio Jihad antidote in an article predominantly about TST's activism seems to be an attempt to plant the seed that Lucian might be an anti-Semite, despite his words and life's work proving otherwise. S.W.O.R.D. suggests by implication that poorly articulated anti-theism, spoken on a radio program 20 years ago, defined the man today and therefore, TST as a whole. Sword conveniently ignores Shane Bugby's egregious racism in the exact same radio program. In response, solution stating, if they, Jewish people, were born of Jewish blood, but they don't follow the whole Zionism thing, they're okay. Bugby replies, I don't like Jews. One drop of Jew blood means you ain't breaking bread with me, motherfucker. We suspect Sore neglected to mention this because Bugbee is a key source of information in the article, and failing to mention this is helpful in framing Lucian as deeply anti-Semitic.
0: Yeah, okay, well said. Thank you for sparing me from the endangerment of, you know, having my audio clipped. And yeah, because you the, know
1: they're going to post it.
0: <laughs> the exact same scandal. Oh, my God. Me, me saying the exact same thing that Lucian said. Anyway. Um,
1: at, at that point, they'll probably claim that repeating it is just as harmful, even though they repeat it all the fucking time.
0: I think it's fair to say that this radio program was a hot fucking mess. And Lucian finds, as he said in the letter that he wrote, kind of explaining and apologizing, he said that he he has to apologize for what he believed, but also has to defend himself against accusations of what he did did believe, you know, of accusations of of what he was saying. So he was poorly articulating anti-theism. He does not, however, believe anymore that it is okay to hate people on the basis of their beliefs. If he did, here's the thing, if he did hold gross racist beliefs in his 20s, I would not care because I know him. I know the man now. I know him to be someone of good character who has laid his life on the line, who has jeopardized a lot in the service of plurality and justice. And that's just not something that an anti-Semite or racist or crypto-fascist would do. And he wrote at the very end of his apology, TST will always be for anybody of any background who identifies with the values we espouse. And today you can count on me to vigorously defend any religious group's right to equal representation and expression anywhere.
1: He wanted to point out swords attempt is to he wants to characterize greaves as anti-semitic by extension the satanic temple is anti-semitic and that must mean that secularists shouldn't support the satanic temple which is very frustrating to us so we wanted to point out it wasn't even anti-semitic to begin with but at the same time there are other clips from that podcast that have that have emerged and he has said things that we don't agree with that he doesn't agree with now either We don't care about what was said 20 years ago. We're only talking about this because it gets brought up all the time. We're fucking sick of it.
0: We're fucking sick of it. And the sixth tenet of the satanic temple reads, People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify any harm that may have been caused. And so that is written into the DNA of TST, that people are fallible. And that people should make amends and that people can change.
1: Oh, wow. People can change? They're they're not stuck in the beliefs they held 20 years ago?
0: I believe that Lucian exemplifies this with his own life. The man has grown. He has changed. And frankly, that's really good fucking news. Because we need an organization where flawed people with messy pasts can get together and choose to do good anyway. That's the kind of community that I need. I was a Christian missionary. I said and did horrible things that I am not proud of. And so I need an organization, I need a church where it is okay. For me to move beyond my past.
1: To make mistakes now, too, because we're human.
0: We're human. And so making mistakes now is going to happen. And the fact that I've made mistakes in the past should not hinder me from pursuing justice. We really have to think about what kind of world do we want to create? Do we want a world where no one can ever move past their mistakes? That's a nightmare. That's a hell. And not in the fun way.
1: No. And I've I've seen people online, and I believe that they're entirely disingenuous and just doing it for their own self-serving purposes. I don't necessarily believe that they even believe what they're saying, but they'll claim that Lucian hasn't sufficiently, I guess, prostrated himself. He, he doesn't seem that's mournful because it, and regretful enough. That's you because know? it
0: will never be enough. That's because there is never enough
1: writing a written apology and funding, excuse me, founding an organization that supports pluralism and risking his life in support of pluralism isn't enough to counteract something he said 20 years ago. Fuck yeah. off.
0: Fuck off. And and here's the thing. I think that it is actually a, a benefit because what what the presence of people like Lucian in the organization demonstrates and other people. I mean, there are other people who I can name who have really messy pasts and I won't put any of them on the spot right now, but you know, they're public figures in the temple and people can look them up and, and see that they, some of them have some messy backgrounds and that's a benefit because a, it signals to people who are aware of our fallibility that this is a church where they will be accepted and where they will be able to pursue the cause of justice despite their imperfections, and B, it shows the purity obsessives and the contagion obsessives that this is not an organization for them. If, if you, dear listener, look at Lucian Greaves and see someone who you cannot tolerate being in the same room with, because of mistakes that he has made, then TST is not the organization for you. Go find somewhere else. Go find a place that is more in alignment with your values because TST is a place for messy people to pursue the cause of justice. And if someone like Lucian is too much for you, then you don't belong here.
1: Yes, and like we we said before, this is something that we both feel very passionately about. It's hard for me not to... That to be unbiased, I'm not even saying that I am, but it. I just know that in in the real world and reality, I do not believe for one second that anyone who is old enough to read and has access to the internet the first time that they read that this sentence was uttered. That they are seriously so broken and fragile and clutching their pearls. And I can't believe anyone would ever say this. Oh, my God. Go clutch your pearls somewhere fucking else.
0: Yeah, for real. The, the, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high right now. Theocrats and are taking away the rights of, of every of minorities everywhere. And we don't have the time for this.
1: Exactly. And I don't know, you can edit this out if you want to, because it is political. I don't know if we should say it. But in my opinion, this this is called maximalism, right? Like it's a purity spiral. You're either 100% with this or you're 100% against this. And we can tolerate no moral transgressions or failings anywhere that has ever existed, even if you can move past them. And this maximalist approach is what led to everything that's wrong now like it was the the bernie or bust people that were unwilling to vote for hillary clinton instead of donald trump because hillary clinton isn't perfect
0: yeah and and not only not perfect but has real flaws but they couldn't see the stakes
1: and so we're in in this scenario not in the satanic temple but in this mindset is to allow the the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Yeah. I think just the the glass houses approach, like just insisting that interpersonal change or change in an organizational level must occur before you can create any real change in the real world. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that he hasn't changed, but just the incessant focus on these figures and the face of the organization rather than what the organization as a whole is achieving yes. is unproductive.
0: And the community. I mean, it's it's incredible the degree to which I don't think about Lucian versus people outside of TST and how much they think about Lucian. Like, And I, I volunteer quite a bit in TST. I work on ordination council, so I'm working in ministry every single day. I'm not thinking about Lucian. I'm only thinking about Lucian when I fucking have to because these dipshits are constantly calling him an anti, you know, they're constantly calling him anti-Semitic and a crypto fascist online. And then I get lumped in with that. Or I think about him when he's literally in front of me during an interview. Those are the only two times that I'm thinking about Lucian Greaves. People outside of TST think about him way more than I do. And the people i am thinking about is the community it's the ministers it's the congregations it's, it's the those are that the we people talk
1: to that have accessed abor- abortion through the satanic temple's religious reproductive rights campaigns that's who i'm thinking of that's who i want to help
0: yeah absolutely
1: and uh i'm sorry i have to be a brat here and just point out that the absolute irony In someone who is a member of the Church of Satan, who was founded by Anton LaVey, pretending to clutch their pearls over something the founder of a satanic organization said, right?
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And I
1: pulled a quote from Anton LaVey himself because he's the founder of the Church of Satan. And he said, we as Satanists have an affinity for certain elements of both Judaism and Nazism, an affinity for Nazism, if you heard that listener. It will become easier and more convincing for any Satanist to combine a Jewish lineage with a Nazi aesthetic and with pride rather than guilt or misgiving. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The only place a rational amalgam of proud, admitted Zionist, Odinist, Bolshevik, Nazi, imperialist, socialist fascism will be found and championed will be the Church of Satan.
0: Anton LaVey was a problematic guy and...
1: We are not saying that everyone in the Church of Satan is anti-Semitic. We're not saying that. We're just saying there is a double standard here. (laughs) We put our biases in the beginning of our article. He included it at the end as a footnote. And I also just want to point out that James D. Sass was a self-identified Nazi, and his book is still listed on the Church of Satan's website. So stop (laughs) pretending like because a founder or a representative of an organization holds views that could be seen as anti-Semitic or possibly did 20 years ago, that that impacts who TST is today. Fuck yes, you,
0: absolutely. And because people, people are imperfect and people change. And if we don't have a place for imperfect people, then the cause of justice is, is done. Uh, you know, we, there will be no progress if we cannot accept that people are imperfect in the past and today.
1: Yes. And then we will stop talking, but this part got taken out of the article and it was actually one of my favorite parts. And I think you can articulate it better than I can, but we were talking about whether it is better to be offensive or to take no action.
0: Okay. So, so we will finish with this reading of a section that was taken out of the article. Sword argues in favor of what Minister of Satan Vivian Desesse calls virtuous inaction. Sword believes it is better for Satanists to take no action and to assert no rights because the risk of failure is too high. We reject this attitude and believe it is a cowardly position. As Lucian explains, quote, Now is not the time for tepid replies delivered with the complacent benevolence of one who knows that the weight of history and the trajectory of current events favor their preferred outcome. That's not the situation we are in. We have to fight for our rights now with every available legal resource at our disposal. TST is on the offensive, demanding the rights explicitly guaranteed to us, and we will litigate if those rights are infringed upon. The law, as it is written, is undeniably on our side. We are not requesting approval of new legislation that would need to be codified into law, nor are we advocating to create a brand new class of civil rights." Ultimately, it is up to the courts to determine whether or not they will respect our fundamental rights. If the courts choose to discriminate against us simply because we are Satanists, it is wrong to claim that we should not have asserted the rights that remain explicitly guaranteed to us in the Constitution. If that comes to fruition, Any outrage that follows should be placed solely on the shoulders of the corrupt courts who fail to respect and apply our secular democratic laws neutrally. If that is the outcome, we have a constitutional crisis with ramifications that extend far beyond the satanic temple and its adherents.
1: Man, I wish that would have been in the article. Me too. (laughs) Another quote from Lucian Greaves is, If you still think that what TST is doing is just a joke, you are woefully unprepared for the world that is directly ahead. Having come for the religious minorities and having evaporated reproductive rights, then they will come for the LGBTQ community and all else with whom they have a sense of moral conflict. Many of the freedoms that we we once took for granted have been destroyed by encroaching theocracy. Secularists will continue to lose the rights that remain to us if we do not act. The trajectory of unchallenged Christian nationalism does not create a world that is accepting of non-Christians. As you may have gathered by now, TST members are unapologetic when it comes to our Satanism. Our religious identity is meaningful to us and saturates every aspect of our lives. We are compassionate, empathetic, fallible, stubborn, rebellious, imperfect people committed to our principles, and we will unabashedly advocate for ourselves and others when our rights are threatened. We refuse to surrender our secular democracy without a fight. If those are characteristics you admire in allies as secularists, we believe the satanic temple is worthy of your support.
0: Yeah. So this is an all hands on deck situation, and we are in danger of losing our democracy in favor of an autocracy and theocracy. And we do not have time to clutch our fucking pearls. (laughs) All right, I hate to say that that was longer than our previous recording, but oh, don't feel bad. No, this was great. This was this was a fantastic episode, and thank you, everyone who has made it to this point in the episode if you <laughs> have made make it
1: no one <laughs>
0: <laughs> which will be no one for for those of you who have made it you're like a really weird fucking nerd like what what's wrong with you but <laughs> i'm glad you're here with us and thank you for getting this far with us to the very end of this episode and um we will leave a link in the show notes for the original article that we wrote Uh, I will also provide some links to stuff that Murphy has written in defense of the Satanic Temple. As always, the place where people really interact with my work is on Discord. I love hearing from people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. That's great. I'm on there like everyone else. But please maybe funnel your discussion towards Discord or to the comment section on my website. That's easier for me and it's safer for me as a content creator. So if you do have thoughts, then join in on the conversation. You can also email me via my website. I would love to hear back from you. As always, the show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. The music is by Eleventy-seven. The theme song is Wild. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. And the show is supported by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, Hail Satan, and thanks for listening.